Chapter sixty eight of Thomas Wingfold Curate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Smith. Thomas Wingfold Curate by George MacDonald. Sixty eight. After the sermon. As the sermon drew to a close, and the mist of his emotion began to disperse, individual faces of his audience again dawned out on the preacher's ken. Mr. Drew's head was down, as I have always said, certain things he had been taught in his youth and had practiced in his manhood, certain mean ways counted honest enough in the trade had become to him regarded from the ideal point of the divine in merchandise such as merchandise namely as the share the son of man might have taken in buying and selling had his reputed father been a shopkeeper instead of a carpenter absolutely hateful and the memory of them intolerable nor did it relieve him much to remind himself of the fact that he knew not to the full nature of the advantages he took for he knew that he had known them such as shrunk from the light not coming thereto to be made manifest he was now doing his best to banish them from his business and yet they were a painful presence to his spirit so grievous to be borne that the prospect held out by the preacher of an absolute and final deliverance from them by the indwelling presence of the god of all living men and true merchants was a blessedness unspeakable small was the suspicion in the abbey church of alliston that morning that the well-known successful man of business was weeping who could once have imagined another reason for the laying of that round good-humoured contented face down on the book board than pure drowsiness from lack of work-day interest yet there was a human soul crying out after its birthright oh to be clean as a mountain river clean as the air above the clouds or on the middle seas as the throbbing aether that fills the gulf betwixt star and star nay as the thought of the son of man himself who to make all things new and clean stood up against the old battery of sin-sprung suffering withstanding and enduring and stilling the recoil of the awful force wherewith his father had launched the worlds and given birth to human souls with wills that might become free as his own while wingfold had been speaking in general terms with the race in his minds and the congregation in his body's eye he had yet thought more of one soul with its one crime and its intolerable burden than all the rest leopold was ever present to him and while he strove to avoid absorption in a personal interest however justifiable it was of necessity that the thought of the most burdened sinner he knew should color the whole of his utterance at times indeed he felt as if he were speaking to him immediately and to him only at others although then he saw her no more than him that he was comforting the sister individually and holding out to her brother the mighty hope of a restored purity 
and when once more his mind could receive the messages brought home by his eyes he saw upon helen's face the red sunset of a rapt listening true it was already fading away but the eyes had wept the glow yet hung about cheek and forehead and the firm mouth had forgotten itself into a tremulous form which the stillness of absorption had there for the moment fixed but even already although he could not yet read it upon her countenance a snake had begun to lift its head from the chaotic swamp which runs a creek at least into every soul the rudimentary desolation a remnant of the time when the world was without form and void and the snake said why then did he not speak like that to my leopold why did he not comfort him with such a good hope well becoming a priest of the gentle jesus or if he fancied he must speak of confession why did he not speak of it in plain honest terms instead of suggesting the idea of it so that the poor boy imagined it came from his own spirit and must therefore be obeyed as the will of god so said the snake and by the time helen had walked home with her aunt the glow had sunk from her soul and a gray wintry mist had settled down upon her spirit and she said to herself that if this last hope in george should fail her she would not allow the matter to trouble her any further she was a free woman and as leopold had chosen other counsellors had thus declared her unworthy of confidence and after all that she had suffered and done for love of him had turned away from her she would put money in her purse set out for france or italy and leave him to the fate whatever it might be which his new advisers and his own abstinency might bring upon him was the innocent bound to share the same of the guilty had she not done enough would even her father require more of her than she had already done and endured when therefore she went into leopold's room and his eyes sought her from the couch she took no notice that he had got up and dressed while she was at church and he knew that a cloud had come between them and that after all she had borne and done for him he and his sister were now farther apart for the time at least than when oceans lay betwixt their birth and their meeting and he found himself looking back with vague longing even to the terrible old house of glaston and the sharing of their agony therein his eyes followed her as she walked across to the dressing-room and the tears rose and filled them but he said nothing and the sister who all the time of the sermon had been filled with wave upon wave of wishing that poldy could hear this could hear that could have such a thought to comfort him such a lovely word to drive the whore from the soul now cast on him a chilly glance and said never a word of the things to which she had listened with such heavings of the spirit ocean for she felt with an instinct more righteous than her will that they would but strengthen him in his determination to do whatever the teacher of them might approve as she repassed him to go to the drawing-room 
she did indeed say a word of kindness but it was in a forced tone and was only about his dinner his eyes overflowed but he shut his lips so tight that his mouth grew grim with determination and no more tears came to the friend who joined her at the church door and in george biscombe's absence walked with them along pine street miss ramshorn remarked that the curate was certainly a most dangerous man particularly for young people to hear he so confounded all the landmarks of right and wrong representing the honest man as no better than the thief and the murderer as no worse than anybody else teaching people in fact that the best thing they could do was to commit some terrible crime in order thereby to attain to a better innocence than without it could ever be theirs how far she mistook or how far she knew or suspected that she spoke falsely i will not pretend to know but although she spoke as she did there was something either in the curate or in the sermon that had quieted her a little and she was less contemptuous in her condemnation of him than usual happy both for himself and others the curate was not one of those who cripple the truth and blind their own souls by some scraven scruple of thinking too precisely on the event and thought which quartered hath but one part wisdom and ever three parts coward and hence in proportion as he roused the honest he gave occasion to the dishonest to cavil and condemn imagine st paul having a prevision of how he would be misunderstood and heeding it what would then have become of all those his most magnificent outbursts and would any amount of apostolic carefulness have protected him i suspect it would only have given rise to more vulgar misunderstandings and misrepresentations still to explain to him who loves not is but to give him the more plentiful material for misinterpretation let a man have truth in the inward parts and out of the abundance of his heart let his mouth speak if then he should have ground to fear honest misunderstanding let him preach again to enforce the truth for which he is jealous and if it should seem to any that the two utterances need reconciling let those who would have them consistent reconcile them for themselves the reason of george bascom's absence from church that morning was that after an early breakfast he had mounted helen's mare and set out to call on mr hooker before he should have gone to church helen expected him back to dinner and was anxiously looking for him so also was leopold but the hopes of the two were different at length the mare's hoofs echoed through all sunday glaston and presently george rode up the groom took his horse in the street and he came into the drawing-room helen hastened to meet him well george she said anxiously oh it's all right we'll be at least i am sure i will tell you all about it in the garden after dinner aunt has the good sense never to interrupt us there he added i'll just run and show myself to leopold he must not suspect that i am of your party and playing him false not that it is false you know for two negatives make a positive and to fool a madman is to give him fair play 
the words jarred sorely on helen's ear Biscombe hurried to leopold and informed him that he had seen mr hooker and that all was arranged for taking him over to his place on tuesday morning if by that time he should be able for the journey why not to-morrow said leopold i am quite able oh i told him you were not very strong and he wanted a run after the hounds to-morrow so he judged it better put off till tuesday leopold gave a sigh and said no more End of chapter sixty eight read by john smith